0: Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number 33. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co hosts here. And with me is the incomparable
1: Peter Harling. How you doing, Pete? El Nuno, I'm really good, man. I'm really good. I'm excited to uh, get into this episode and start talking to our guest, Hattie, about the NHL 24 draft coming up in the Dauber Prospects rankings. That's going to be awesome. What's new with you, my dude?
0: Oh, you know, it's uh, American Thanksgiving week this week. By the time you're hearing this, we'll be gobbling down some turkey. Actually, we are going to have a vegetarian Thanksgiving. which is going to be strange. Yeah, well, my family, we have some illness in the family. So part of my family is going to celebrate separately. And then we're going to convene later, probably a few days later, and have full on turkey and everything. But we figured since part of the family is gone and we have um, other parts that are vegan, vegetarian, we're like, we'll do a vegetarian part so it'll be strange for sure yeah yeah, <laughs> but yeah it's all good
1: there you go as long as get your family right it's more about the family than the food although the food is important
0: the food is great but i'm sure it'll still be family. delicious yeah yeah you gotta you gotta go with the family part and I, i'm super excited too i've i've been dipping my toe into watching some of these 2024 guys and we don't know as much about them as some of the people who watch them all the time so that's why yeah. we gotta Got to get some experts on. And so, uh, but I, it sounds like a really interesting class. So I'm really excited to to learn more, right?
1: Yeah, I had a good live viewing of Luke Misa last weekend. So we'll talk about that on, with Hadi when he comes on as well. Yeah, for sure. And
0: yeah, we've already mentioned a couple times, but in today's report, we're going to preview the 2024 draft. It's mostly just to get to know all these names and we're going to bring on a expert, the director of North American scouting at Double Prospects, Hadi Kalakesh. And before we do that, we want to remind you that Double Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the Army of Fantastic Hockey podcasts. Check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey, to from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. We're on that in a bit. And the DPR show is proudly sponsored by Fantrax. Fantrax is the ultimate league manager for any dynasty league you play, any sport you play. Completely customizable for however you want to set up your league, custom scoring settings, categories, an amazing draft room, draft pick trading, treasury options. So you don't have to hunt your league mates down. You can take care of it all within Fantrax and and so much more. And to use, you can use the promo code to sign up for a free league using fantraxcom show All right, let's get into the meat of this episode. We are pleased now to welcome back to the show, friend of the show. Hadi Kalikash, director of North American scouting at Dauber Prospects. How are you doing, Hadi? Doing very good, very good. The uh, busy, busy day of scouting. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, man, doing great. Yeah, you were just telling us how you've been making the rounds. That's that's what happens when you know stuff. That that's your fault. That's your <laughs> fault, buddy.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> gotta to tone it down for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're really excited to have you on. I know you guys recently had your Dauber Prospects meeting where you kind of talked about, you know, where where you guys rank different players Mm -hmm. and talk about guys you're higher and lower on. I highly recommend everyone go listen to that. That was really good. Good article. And we're going to talk about some guys that that we have some interest in. And so Pete and I kind of prepared, you know, some general questions. This is partly for a lot of us just getting to know this draft class too. Obviously, we don't know these guys as well as you and and Sebastian and the rest of the team do. So that's part of it. But I think we all have heard the name of Ackland Celebrini. So I think we should probably just start there. And well, from what I've seen, there's no question that he is the number one overall prospect and he might go wire to wire. We'll have to see. But he has been doing amazing things over there at Boston University currently on a two yeah. points per game pace. And if he does go number one overall, I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about his game and, and how he might compare to other first overall picks of recent years like Jack Hughes, Nico Heasier, Austin Matthews. Does his skills translate? Do they compare to any of those guys, or what kind of upside are we looking at here with Macklin?
2: In terms of upside, I think Fantilli is almost similar, but in terms of play style, i say Nico Heischer is a bit more of a better comparable. The way Cele- the way Celebrini works is that a lot of his offense will come off the rush, and a lot of his offense starts in the defensive zone. So he's a really intense, really effort heavy player. So you know, a lot of the sequences in which he scores points are sequences where in the defensive zone he's you know, banging a player into the wall, uh, fr- you know, freeing the puck from his stick and then kind of pivoting off the check and heading into the, into the middle of the ice with crossovers to kind of speed up. And once he's there, he can either pass it off to a teammate and then move into a play in a spot where he can kind of rifle off a shot, which is a really, really good shot. Either that or he just carries it the whole way and puts the finishing touch on the play. So it's just very dynamic, very rush heavy, rush oriented scorer. But yeah, there's just there's nothing really I can point to with Celebrini and say, okay, this is something he needs to work on. Maybe, maybe his backhand needs a bit of work. But this is more of the kind of finesse, refined, you know, detail oriented stuff that you focus on once you're 21, 22, 23, established in the NHL and kind of working on improving your game. But yeah, I mean, there's just really nothing I can point to with Celebrini and call a weakness. He's just such a well-rounded prospect and he plays a mature game already he forced his way onto the top six with, with Boston University, which is not an easy feed for a June birthday. I mean, if you compare his production to Fantilli and Eichel in the same year, Fantilli and Eichel were at about 1.80 points per game. He's at two points per game so far through 11 games. And Fantilli and Eichel were October birthdays, so some of the oldest players in their draft year. Rad's celebrating his June birthday, that's an eight-month difference in age at the same kind of... In, in their draft years, and Celebrini's not producing them both. So yeah, the the upside's exciting, but what's really interesting with Celebrini is you're, you're getting a guaranteed NHLer that can basically hop into the NHL and have a decent impact from day one. He's
1: a one-and-done NCAA player then?
2: I think so. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be more than one season. I, I think it'd be a waste, because he's already playing such a mature, developed game that I, I don't think there's really much for him to learn in the NCAA that he doesn't already know. It's just a matter of upscaling his his skill set to the NHL level, and... The best plot to do that is in the NHL. Yeah.
1: So one question I'll ask you about on, on all or most of these guys we're talking about today is yeah. where we're talking about ranking them for fans for for the draft. And then how does that compare versus how we would go for a fantasy ranking? So obviously celebrating can't move up any higher. So does he maintain number one in a, in a fantasy draft with the 24
2: draft class? I think so. In terms of in terms of upside uncertainty, he's top of the class. You know, the only prospect I think that competes with him upside wise is Ivan Demirov, maybe, maybe Caden Lindstrom. But even with Lindstrom, it's just so uncertain what his true upside is that with Celebrini, you know exactly what you're getting out of him. And you can see the path to a top line. You can see the path to a franchise career. I think it's it's a no brainer at first overall in this draft class. It's got to be it's got to be Celebrini.
0: I'm glad you brought up the birth date, too, because that's something that I always pay attention to. You know, it doesn't necessarily always matter. But as you mentioned, the runway that Celebrini has as a as a mid-June birth date, he has so much time to get even better, which is scary. And like you said, there isn't too much he needs to work on. So those other guys did great. But being older gave them a certain advantage, an advantage that Macklin doesn't have. And he's still killing it. So definitely seems like a franchise transformational type of player. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's the type of player, like I said, he's plug and play already. And the the level of his game already is just ridiculous. And, you know, the NHL is getting more rush heavy with with every year. And that just fits perfectly with his play style. He's, you know, he's even gotten better at the cycle plays. You know, it was one thing that I could kind of see be a weakness in his draft here where he was getting he wasn't placing himself well. He wasn't getting as involved in in offensive cycles. But that was with the Chicago seal last year, and even then he was crushing it. But now with BU, it's become a bona fide strength. He's able to push off checks. He's able to to spin off checks and access the middle of the ice off the off the cycle. And his offensive movements, the little adjustments he makes to his posture and his positioning in the offensive zone off the cycle, it, it's just so exciting. There are so many small intricate details to his game that are exactly what I look for in a prospect. If I'm any team I'm picking him first overall, whether that's fantasy or nhl or whatever it is it's it's he, he's just a no-brainer at that point point. Yeah.
1: one quick question i have for you on celebrini as well here Hattie, is the coach has kind of complained a little bit that he's become a little bit of a target from the other team which of course yeah. should should be should be expected i've seen him get rocked a few times take some big hits and, and pop right back up but i mean so initially his durability looks looks promising right like he's uh He's an 18-year-old or 17-year-old playing against pretty much men at the college yeah. level, right? So there's not going to be that much of a jump for him to the, to the pro level in the NHL in terms of this competition size. But are we worried a little bit about his, perhaps, survivability? I mean, Lindros was a big guy. He could take a hit, but it caught up to him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a risk with any prospect, but I think that Celebrini's play style is, it, you know, first of all, he's, in, he's insanely adaptable. You know, the, the jump from the Chicago Steel to the to Boston University, from the USHL to the to the NCAA is a massive jump in terms of the modification in your play, play style you need to bring, right? And he he closed that gap so seamlessly that I think that, you know, with Celebrini, and, and we saw it as well at the U18 Worlds, he molded his game to the quality that he needed to, 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 to the qualities that he needed to have in order to succeed at that level. I don't think that's going to change as he reaches the NHL. Obviously, you know, if he was a player who was regularly involved in physical battles, if he was a player who consistently just just dove headfirst into board battles every chance he gets, that would be a bit more of a concern. But Celebrini's a lot more elusive, a lot more evasive, a lot more agile laterally, which allows him to sidestep these checks. You know, right now he's getting lit up, he's getting hit for situations where he's going for retrievals and he has that target on his back, but it's not like he's willingly seeking out those situations. You know, a guy like Brendan Gallagher, for example, it was just a matter of time before he slowed down. It was just a matter of time before he got injured because he plays that, you know, head first into the board style. That's not Celebrini. But yeah, it's that's the reality of any high-end prospect is you have to learn to deal with those situations. And it was the same with Bedard in the WHL, right? I mean, he had a target on his back the whole season. He adapted his play style perfectly to kind of fit that situation. And I've seen that so far from Celebrini, which leads me to believe that not only his durability in terms of getting up from checks is going to be fine, but also avoiding those checks altogether shouldn't be as much of an issue because he's he's adapted to every level he's played at. So I don't think the NHL is going to be any different.
0: We we could talk all day about Celebrini, but, but we won't. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is this draft seems really good for defensemen. We've had a couple of drafts. In recent memories, it seems like it kind of alternates, you know, 2018, 2022 were good, you know, had a lot of good defensemen and we had we had a couple of drafts last year wasn't the best. This next year, 2024, it seems like it's going to be another good one for defensemen several high end ones so I kind of wanted to just kind of pose them all to you as, as sort of a group Yeah, we have zane parek who you guys have at four you're definitely the high watermark there because the yep. consensus is at 10 and you're bringing them up ep had him at 12 most outlets have him at 12 or 14 yeah sam dickinson you guys have at three and most outlets have them around five and then there's artem Lashunov, who you guys have at 10 a little bit lower other outlets have him around four or six yeah uh, anton Siliev, you have at 11 consensus is 10. Aaron Kibihariu, who's injured, unfortunately, now is going to miss a good part of his draft season. He's at 13. So I wanted maybe you could just speak a little bit about all of them and also who has the highest offensive ceiling versus like a high floor. And if I were going to suggest, I would say that Zane Perek probably yeah. has the highest offensive ceiling and maybe someone like Dickinson has like the highest floor. But I wanted to get your take on all that.
2: Yeah, that's spot on. Zane Parekh, Zane Parekh's ceiling is ridiculous. His offensive skill, his offensive abilities off the chart but beyond that he just thinks the game at an advanced level offensively with the puck he's got the composure and poise to let plays develop and and open up lanes that no one else expected on top of that he can hit those lanes accurately because his passing is just so good he's got a bomb of the shot from the point you can just i I feel like in terms of offensive production if we're talking points only if you have to go for a defenseman it's St. correct all day every day there isn't anyone in this in this group in this class that even remotely compares to his offensive upside. And on the flip side of that, you have Sam Dickinson, who for me is the most surefire top four defenseman. I mean, at 16 years old, he was carving himself out a top four role on a London Knights team that had Logan Mayu, Oliver Bonk, and Isaiah George, among others that were competing for those spots. And he quickly became one of their top defenders. Beyond that, I mean, he doesn't just skate well for a big guy. He just skates well, period. Defensively, he's had some of the best performances defensively I've seen from any prospect in my five, six years of, of scouting at this level. Just the, the, the amount of disruptions, the amount of, of defensive stick plays that he does. I mean, I've counted 16 in one period. That's not nothing. Like, he, he's involved defensively. And it's not just his skating, but also just his awareness and intelligence and, and anticipation of what his opponents are going to do. His defensive game is so solid. In terms of floor... I feel like Dickinson right now could play an NHL role on on a bottom pair and do more than fine. But there's there's room for growth, and that's what's interesting with Dickinson. And that's what barely edges him edges him out over Perreault is that not only can he kind of immediately jump into the NHL and have an impact, but on top of that, he's he's growing his his offensive game a bit. He's been pegged as this kind of low floor, high ceiling, low low ceiling, high floor rather type of defenseman. But there are some small areas playmaking elements some small area passes that he makes sometimes he'll he'll throw a bomb cross ice right on a stick and on top of that he's got one of the best shots in the draft as well like there's there's the tools there to develop an offensive game in dickinson so those two i think have separated themselves from the pack in terms of the defensemen in this class and i think if i'm if i'm to bet money i I can almost guarantee you dickinson's going first between the two but yeah in terms of upside definitely look at Perek. outside of that Archam Levshunov has been kind of put in that conversation, but I'm, you know, at, at the Dobber prospect scouting team, we're not entirely sold on uh, the reliability of his game. He's very inconsistent. The decision making is really off at times and bang on at other times. In terms of tools, he's a he's a big, rangy, physical defenseman with really good skating, but it just it there's a, a lot of his tools are used in isolation. It's not really a cohesive package yet, like it is with Dickinson or like it is with Parekh. It's a lot of isolated elements in terms of tools. So it's just bringing that together. That's the next step for him. And if that can be done, sure, he might end up being a top five prospect in this draft. But we're not really sold on that even being possible, given how inconsistent this decision making is. And then you have Anton Salaev, who is six foot seven, a good 200 pounds playing top KHL minutes right now for a program that's surprisingly lenient towards its prospects. They have Nikita Artemanov as well, who's in the same program playing in the KHL full time and not playing 30 seconds a game like we've seen with previous prospects like Danilo Yurov and et cetera, et cetera. He's playing, you know, 15, 16 minutes a game. And for, for Salive, he's, he's exceeded 20 minutes at times. And Salive for me, I mean, if he works out the way I think he can, he could end up being the best gap closer in all of hockey. Like, period. This 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 kid's just, it's not unfair for a six seven player to skate as good as he as he does. It's unfair for a six seven player to be as defensively aware as he is. just he makes some weird decisions on the puck in the offensive zone and that's what limits him so far. so yeah that's the kind of bunch and then that throw Kivi Haryu in there but he's been injured he's he's probably gonna miss a whole season pretty severe injury and yeah i mean he's fantastic on the breakout really smart smart you know decision making overall but the big question marks are his injury obviously but also just the the overall defensive game physical abilities you know all that stuff it's a bit behind his age group and it's been very clear when he's playing against liga competition but against j20 he just blows blows him out of the water there's no competition so yeah that's a kind of bunch in the in the top 15 i'd say and we we can throw Ear check in there as well but yeah, i i'm assuming we'll get to him later on what's kiviaru's
1: injury you know I,
2: I don't i don't think it's been announced yet either it hasn't or I'd, i haven't seen it yet but yeah it's a pretty major injury that'll have him miss the whole season so or or at least a major part of the season
1: yeah i just hope it's not something chronic like concussion or back or
2: yeah, Something. yeah. I, I think um, it was lower
1: body, though. Okay, is he? Does he have the potential to be a massive sleeper in this draft? Like a player sure. who could be a top five pick if he played the whole season, but if he misses his whole draft year, kind of. Mm. I, I wonder where he end up going. Like, who knows what his upside could be if he played the full season and and played really well, right? Like, he could play his way into a top ten, top five. Who knows? We'll never know because he's not going to play.
2: Yeah, but no, it's you know. It, it is a bit, the thing is with, I think even if Kivihari doesn't get injured, there were still some questions and concerns about his decision-making about, especially defensively, like offensively, once he gets a puck on the breakout, oh my goodness, he doesn't miss a pass, he, he makes every play work, he he makes every everything tick, and everything goes through him, especially at the J20 level, but there have been some concerns, and I, I think with those concerns, we're talking about an 11-15 to 15 guy, and, and that's about where we have him right now, so that, that's more than reasonable.
1: Well, maybe it's the opposite then. Maybe him
2: not playing this year will maintain his draft
1: status. He's not going to play his way out of the top top 15. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll see about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: No, I think it's a good point, though, because they there. He might fall a little bit more than he should have. And, and mm-hmm. we're always looking at value. So I, I personally hope correct falls into the teens so that. Oh, yeah. in fantasy drafts, you can get him much higher. Uh, I know that. You said Anton Silayev's name correctly, but when I read it sometimes in my head, I think Siliev, and I think it's silly that he's so <laughs> tall and yep. skates so well, and so that helps me remember him too. But <laughs> yeah, he he definitely makes some strange decisions, but I'm sure he's going to go high just because people are going to be like, oh, he's the next Zdeno Chara, right? Like he's, he <laughs> skates well. Yeah. Um, so we'll see about that. But the, those are, yeah, those are some really, that's a really good rundown on all those guys, Hadi. Thank mm-hmm. you. Of course. So let's move on to the next guy that we want to talk about. The next forward, Cole Eiserman, mm-hmm. And I know some people initially were confused when we were talking about him. It's not spelled the same as Stevie Y. It's E-I-S-E-R-M-A-N. And he's not Canadian. He's American. But anyways, Cole Eiserman, you guys have him at five. The consensus I've seen is more two or three. And mm-hmm. there's no question that he has the best shot. And he's probably the best goal scorer in this draft. And that's what you want in fantasy. But I know that you guys expressed this. There's been some other expressions of this, too. But the rest of his game can be a bit deficient. I know at the end of last season, there were thoughts that, you know, Eisenman was going to push Celebrini and all that kind of stuff. And, I mean, that seems, like, wild now, the way things are going. But And and because of Celebrini's all-around game. But I'm just wondering. You know, like, obviously, he's still going to be someone we want in fantasy. But I'm wondering what what are the odds you think Cole Eichmann ends up like a bust? Because maybe the rest of his game isn't so well rounded, and maybe he struggles like someone like Philip Zadina. Do you think? Do you think that what what's the likelihood of that happening?
2: The thing is, Zadina at at, at the same age didn't really have a particular standout skill offensively that could make him succeed regardless. Izerman has that. He's a he's a. Easily he's easily the best goal scorer in this draft. I'd say he's even the the joint best goal scorer with Connor Bernard since last year's draft in the last two drafts. Like he is a ridiculous goal scorer, not just in terms of the velocity and the mechanics of his shot, the way his, his top arm pushes out, the way that he, he you know generates down force on his shots, all that's great. But he can find space in the offensive zone anywhere in any way he has multiple ways of freeing himself up he can he has the physicality to push off opponents which is something that for example cole caulfield doesn't have and despite that cole caulfield's able to score but eizerman has everything caulfield has on top of being a great separator in the offensive zone he can push off contact he can he can bully players in front of the net to free office to free up his stick but on top of that he just the way he weaves in and out of, of pockets of space in the offensive zone it's really intricate it's really refined and it sh- it shows goal scoring instinct that Zadina never really had Zadina was a well-rounded offensive skill set type of player with effort level intensity and 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 decent but not above average skating but there was nothing in his offensive toolkit that stood out above the rest the bet was on him developing one of his tools to that point and he just didn't and that's what made him not work out but Iserman has that that baseline of of goal scoring ability and and offensive instincts that just can't compare with any, you know, prototypical busts that we can look back at. I don't think there's a chance that Iserman busts. I just think that in terms of overall impact, there are four players ahead of him in terms of their their potential to create a positive impact overall on the game. Because I don't see anything in, in Iserman's game leading into the offensive zone that I would consider a net positive. He cheats on plays. He doesn't really know where to position himself defensively. He's not the most astute skater he's not the the best you know board battler and doesn't even really identify when to get involved in board battles these things need to work up but i feel like you can just plug Eiserman in a top six next to a playmaker and he'll get you 30 goals like regardless i don't think it's really an issue with that in terms of the bust potential i don't think you'd have to worry about that my main concern is does he harm his team more than he benefits it overall
0: Okay, let me throw another one at you because that's maybe harsh, bust. Yeah, probably not. He's too good at a goal score. But what if what if, could he end up more like a Mike Hoffman type, right? Like clearly an NHL goal scorer, but because he doesn't do all the other things, you know, like he's he's gonna be in a scoring role. He needs someone else to help him, right? Yeah. In terms of get the setup, like get him the puck. Like he's not gonna do all that himself, but he's got that translatable skill that is not going anywhere and he's gonna be able to fire pucks yeah. at the net. Maybe he's a little better than that, but is that is that a, a a more realistic outcome? I'm just trying to poke some holes in in the in the excitement here. That's all.
2: Yeah, of course. I'd say that is the that is one of the 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 lower case scenarios in terms of what Eisenman could end up being. I'd say Mike Hoffman is, you know, if he doesn't polish his defensive game at all and doesn't you know add weight and just basically stays the same player and just comes to the NHL with that same package of skills, yeah, Mike Hoffman is a realistic kind of comparison in terms of outcomes. But even then, Mike Hoffman had 30 plus goal seasons and had a decent career. I just think that like, especially in a draft like this one, which is more or less weaker in terms of overall upside, I think that's still a risk to take at five. Like that's a, that's a decent player you can get in that range in this type of draft. Like it's, yeah, I, I, the flip side of that is, you know, Mike Hoffman being one of the worst case scenarios in terms of comparisons for, for Iserman. One of the best case scenarios in terms of comparisons for Iserman is Cole Caulfield and Cole Caulfield's probably going to end up scoring 50 goals at some point in his career. Like, the the, the, the his game has evolved, and, you know, Caulfield took a couple of years in a really bad program in Wisconsin and came out of that being a much better, more well-rounded player who now even gets involved physically, throws hits, gets involved defensively, you know, he, he's able to connect plays in terms of playmaking. Like, I feel if if you can leave Iserman those couple of years to polish his game and kind of work things around his goal scoring to uplift that skill set, yeah, that would be great. But, you know, I'd say the worst case scenario for Eiserman would be an Alexander Holtz, where the goal scoring and off puck movement are great, but he doesn't evolve anything outside of that to uplift that skill set and then ends up kind of te- tapering out at the NHL level. Like, that's the worst, worst case scenario. And even then, Alexander Holtz is fa- still fairly young and could end up, you know, developing those tools still. Some players are late bloomers. It's just there's so many variables, but I think the constant with Eiserman is he's gonna score you goals, like minimum thirty. Where is he committed to next season? Oh, that's a good question. I completely, I'm blanking out on that.
1: That's BU. BU
2: is it? I, I thought so. Yeah, yeah.
1: he's he's not gonna play with Celebrini, though, all right? Because he'll he'll move on. Nor Hudson. So yeah, those two will be gone by next year. So yeah, one yeah. of the Hudsons will be there. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Quinn possibly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's hold our horses. We're getting to the we're getting to the other one. <laughs> of course.
1: Yeah. All right. Victor, do you have any other cool thoughts? I mean, he's another player I I could probably wax on all day about. No, no, go ahead. Let's move on. Caden Lindstrom is a player you you alluded to a, a few minutes ago. Let's talk about him. You guys have him ranked at eight, which is uh, significantly higher than the consensus, which is 16. Here's a player that's already six foot five and 205 pounds at 17 years old, and he's getting a lot of attention for both his physical play, which which is obviously impressive, yeah. but obviously his, or also his offensive play. He's got 28 points through 22 games in his draft year, and that's that's going to get you noticed. That combination is very tempting. And. <laughs> look at recent drafts and you'll understand that size does does still matter Mm -hmm. so is this a player that you guys that we can think will be a bangers league darling someone that we we're going to project to be a multi-cat stat stuffer obviously he's going to get some hits going to get some shots some points yeah all all the stats is this is this a player who if you're in a a dynasty league fantasy league Mm -hmm. that has multi-cat points is you
2: move him up even higher on the depth chart than eight? possibly yeah i mean there were there were even debates within our scouting team to put him in the top five like he he's his upside is uh, it's hard to grasp right now and it's fairly early it's still difficult to determine exactly what kind of upside he has and i think that's just going to get solidified as a year goes on we get a larger sample but overall i mean he's a player who puts his all into every shift he's a great person too like everything i've heard about him as a as an individual as a human being is amazing he gets involved physically he can get under his opponent's skin so he's going to get involved in fights as well i know it says six five two oh five 205 on the Leafs prospects page but watching him he looks more like six two six three but it's it's fairly possible he gets there and yeah that combination of size and skill and and speed and intensity like there are so many different areas of the game in which he can impact the game whether it's on the forecheck it's off the rush he's a great puck carrier he's really good at finding space in the neutral zone in terms of lateral mobility to hit the, the blue line, the offensive blue line at the right spot in order to create the best chance possible, he reads plays in advance. It's just a toolkit that I'm not convinced of yet. I, I don't think his skating and his stick handling combine well yet. He needs to kind of gel those two together. His skating in isolation, if you put him in a straight line speed race against anyone, more often than not, he comes out with, with the puck on retrievals. But with the puck, combining a skating and stick handling is a bit more iffy. And, and that's where. You know, that and multiple other areas in terms of how his skating interacts with other tools, I think I have more questions about. So for me, he, he's more of a kind of second line center in terms of upside and in terms of floor. But he might prove me wrong, and he's improved drastically since last summer. You know, his playmaking went from a weakness to a bona fide strength. So like there, there, there are additions to his game that are coming that make him more than just kind of a bruiser, power forward type. He can he can, he can can play any role on the on line finisher playmaker power forward four checker grinder like anything you want he can he can mold this game to that but yeah i'm I'm fairly excited about lindstrom but eight is, is kind of the more conservative like i was pushing him down a bit because i was like listen we don't know yet what his true ceiling is it's not been very clear yet there have been flashes of like oh man this could, could be quentin byfield 2.0 there's other s- signs that are just like okay well he looks more like a middle six player so let's hold our horses but yeah, he could have been a top five player in our rankings. I don't think anyone would have minded in our in our drafting.
1: It could go the way of Michael Rasmussen, is what you are saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so big, bigger players can also take a little bit more time to develop. I mean, Dauber yeah. talks about the breakout threshold of of NHL players at 200 games, but doubles it for larger guys. Yeah. So here is a player who might, you know, take his full four years of of junior hockey and then take a year or two in in, in American Hockey League make the nhl and still need another couple years to really hit his stride i think so i lo- I love the upside potential for him for fantasy leagues that i have multi-cats but yeah. hey, you're playing the long game with this guy i think
2: oh for sure it's it, it's a bit of a process with flinch is because you know his game is polished in ways but also very raw in others yeah, and it's just it's about a banana. exactly it's just a matter of kind of uplifting his skill set and making sure that he's He's adding the right things and combining his tools in the right ways. Because like I said, there's some disconnect sometimes between his hands, his feet, and his brain. They're not all on the same page, always. And I feel like that's the most important thing moving forward is to get all three of his hands, his feet, and his brain on the same page as he moves forward. Because if he has that with the size that he has, with the speed that he has, with the power that he has, with the brain that he has, that's, that's I mean, it's terrifying, <laughs> if I'm honest. Like, it's, it's, it's scary.
1: Just needs to put it all together.
0: In case people are wondering i just looked it up because i was curious and he has 1.86 hits per game does yep. Caden lindstrom he is throwing the body and, and over four shots a game so that's high in junior hockey absolutely yep. very high massive yeah he could be and actually those are those are not shot attempts those are shots that hit the net so yep. he's got way more shot attempts than that so absolutely Caden lindstrom could be a bash monster and mm-hmm. Like you said, it just depends on whether he ends up being a first-liner or second-liner or whatever. Yeah. Fantastic stuff, Hottie. All right, let's talk about the next guy, Trevor Connolly. Trevor Connolly is an American forward, 6'1", 161 pounds. He is a February, late February birthday. He's currently playing for Tri-City, 20 points in 17 games. <laughs> Tri-City of the USHL, more assists than goals. Last season, he was with Tri-City and had about even numbers there. He seems, or I guess I should mention, you guys had him at 19. That's lower than most of the other outlets. The consensus was 14. I know EP Ringside had him at 15. He definitely seems, Trevor Connolly, like a big offensive upside kind of guy. But I know that there are concerns that that maybe that isn't fully translatable to the NHL. Mm -hmm. And there may be some other issues there. Can you tell me a little bit about Trevor Connolly and and what concerns your team had with him?
2: Yeah. So Trevor Connolly is an incredibly confident stick handler. He's an incredibly confident player with... Really good dynamism and intensity, and and just he he carries the puck with an amount of gusto I haven't seen from a lot of prospects. There's just there's a daringness to his game that was really obvious last year. I mean, last year, like I said, it was kind of even split goals and assists. It was only because he was basically pushing through entire defenses and just driving the net and and putting the puck in. But now he's gotten more comfortable, kind of delegating or, or kind of making the finishing pass rather than the finishing finishing shot on these plays, even though. The dare and confidence is still there. He's, he's opting for passes instead of shots, and that, that benefits his skill set a bit more. I think that at the NHL level, it will probably get a playmaker out of him. The concerns are obviously the translatability of that. He plays a very junior style, even though the tools are ridiculous, like they're really good. He still kind of sees the game in a junior way. He doesn't play the Celebrini type of really translatable mature game. On top of that, there have been some my I- five concerns, and I'll be I'll be careful with what I what I divulge in terms of details, because his his agent follows me on Twitter and has DM'd me before regarding that. But yeah, it, it's just it's it's a touchy conversation around some issues, some things that he did when he was like 14, 15 that he's made up for since, and everything I've heard of since then has been more or less positive. I mean, I haven't heard anything that really of shocks you or blows you out of the water like that thing that major thing and all you have to do really is look it up to know about it but still like it's it was a pretty major thing and i think i'd understand why he would end up for example slipping out of the first round but yeah our major concerns are those two things is that you know not everything we've heard about his character is positive but also his game is pretty junior junior junior-y if that makes sense he doesn't really play that that kind of pro game but again like skill set wise it's just off the charts good like he's really really good Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook.
1: Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Next guy I want to talk about is Tijiginla. I keep wanting mm-hmm. to call him Ty. Yeah. Tij is just kind of weird. But yeah, yeah, he is the son of... Jerome again, of course. And we talked about him on our WHL episode with Joel. And I'm really curious to hear what another opinion about this player is. You guys have him ranked 18th on your list versus 27th on the consensus ranking. So he is another guy that the DP team is higher on. Yep. He had a really hot start. Like he came out of the gate guns, blank and bang, bang. Yeah. Uh, 21 points through the first dozen games. And then he kind of really cooled off with zero points in six games. So streaky players, i you know, I, they really scare me. You, you're not sure what you're you're getting with them. Like, am I getting the am I getting the the two points a game guy or the zero points a game guy? Yeah, and they make it really hard to to scout <laughs> and yeah. to prognosticate what they how they project. Um, So, talk to me about what the conversation was like in your rankings with with Aginla. Like, lots to be high about and lots to be cool on.
2: Yeah, I mean, Sebastian and I were more in the kind of twenty twenty two to thirty two type range for Aginla, but our WHL scout Luke Sweeney absolutely adores him, and yeah, he made a big push for him in the top twenty. And I think it's respectable. Like the the main interesting thing about Aginla is how. He's modified his game. He's molded his game over the year between him being in a program where he's not really getting the most minutes and kind of going to Kelowna and playing with Andrew Crystal. That modification, that that change in his game where he went from a kind of bottom six grinder type of, you know, four check hard, get pucks off, off the boards and into the middle, you know, play pucks into areas for your teammates and just facilitate offensive play through just hard work going from that to being a bona fide kind of let me move off the puck, find some space, get a shot off, kind of cycle back, get the puck and do the same again and again. Just that modification from going from this, this grinder to this sniper in terms of his play style was really, really interesting to watch kind of develop. And that adaptability had a lot of us sold on his kind of first round upside. And now this kind of cold streak he's getting, I don't think that really changes much because he has a fallback game when he's not scoring, which is, you know, if Andrew Crystal isn't scoring, he's not doing anything but Tejaginla, when he's not scoring he's forechecking he's he's hitting he's hitting the hell out of players honestly and and just bullying them and and working hard to get pucks back and cycling pucks well and if the bounces don't go in at least he's putting in a hard shift that lets the that lets the line after him hop on the ice with momentum whereas crystal is the momentum so if he's not he's not scoring you know it it deflates the team because he isn't necessarily a a, a defensive stalwart or a physical player or a hard motor type player but again has that fallback game And that's what makes him so interesting is that beyond just being really good at finding space in the offensive zone and, and shooting he's just doing a lot on the ice for his team and he lays it out on the ice you can see the the influences of his dad his dad was a bit like that where he you know even when he wasn't scoring he was he was giving it his all for his team is laying it all out on the ice and this kid's doing it in the whl like only imagine what he'll do for a team that drafts him and develops him and shows him loyalty and, and, and creates that rapport with him. I think it's just, you know, he's a very interesting prospect. And even though he's, I don't think he's anywhere near his dad in terms of talent, you know, he does have his defensive sees playmaking, stick handling is kind of average or below average. I still think the the, the heart is there and that's really interesting. And it can't really be understated with players. Like in terms of multi-hat value, he's, he's up there, like he, he's really good.
1: It sounds like and, what you're saying is his compete level is through the roof. And yeah. when we had uh, Seattle scout on, that's one of the things he said was was most important to them was was compete. So that's interesting. Yeah. How much do you think that change of scenery has to do with his development this season so much compared to the fact that he's a sophomore as opposed to a rookie? Now, like most most rookies in in the CHL, are mm-hmm. they they ease their way into the league because they're very young, yeah. and then once they you know they get acclimated to a year, they get their confidence, they realize hey, I can. I can play here, and and I'm I'm a I'm a draft relevant prospect. This is and then they you know they really put the the pedal to the metal in their their draft year, which is their sophomore season. So how much do you think that has to do with it uh, compared to the change of scenery from going to
2: Kelowna? It depends. I think he went from Seattle to Kelowna, right, or something like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Seattle last year was the most stacked team in the league. There was no space for him. Even if he was a sophomore, he would have been in their bottom six. Kelowna has Andrew Crystal, Gabriel Sterk, that's it like in offensive they, they, they're not a very stacked offensive team and that change of scenery allowed him to showcase how he can do in a top six because at that point they didn't have a choice and the moment he was paired with andrew crystal you could see how how he can work off a playmaker how he can find space in the offensive zone how he can rifle a shot like those you know if it was just you know an, a, an extra year of growth I think he would still be a bottom six player because the, the only thing that changes really with physical growth is your strength, your core strengths, for example, your ability to to get more power behind your stride, your ability to forecheck check hard, to to shrug off opponents. Those things are relatively the same since last year with Higinle. What's really changed is he's now able to showcase his ability to play off a playmaker like Crystal. And I think that's what changed the most. So yeah, I, I think the major, major part of this is the change of senior. Because he wouldn't have gotten those opportunities in, in Seattle, he just wouldn't have. It's a stacked team. Like, the, like it, it's they were the best team in the CHL, the entire CHL last year. Like, there's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, it totally ran into the queue. That was surprising. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. I also looked up his numbers because I was curious. He Tijekinla is has four point six shots per game. Yeah. That's a that's a lot, and about half a hit, and also about half a block. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. All right let's talk about the next guy and we kind of previewed it earlier adam your yes i separated him out because i want to talk about him separately so you guys have him 14 consensus is nine ep has him right at 10. and i listened to their show too they yeah it was kind of interesting there's kind of some people wanted him earlier um there's definitely some some debate about him he You guys are definitely a little low on him, and I I get some reasons why. Well, you'll tell me more why, but he's been playing in the Czech Professional League for HC Pleasant. That's the same team that his brother played for, David Yedicek, and he's currently played 16 games there, has zero points. So, you know, there's there's no production to speak of. That's probably part of it. One thing I really like about Adam, though, is that he is a late June birth date. So he's really, really young for this draft class. His brother was very old for his draft class. And his brother had some skating issues. I don't know that Adam's skating is amazing, but it seems better than his brother's. And, you know, he's got the size. You know, he's a little bit... The the weight is a little low, but the height is yeah. really good. So he's a little thin right now. And we know NHL GMs love those right-handed D, especially guys who can skate, have size, pedigree. You know, he's got all these things. So I think Adam Jurczyk, I can understand why he's here now, but he also strikes me as someone who could really rise this year yeah. and even if he doesn't could end up being one of the top d from this draft when we look back just because of him being so young and playing in such a hard league at an early age what What do you think about that that process do you think there's a good chance maybe even at the u20 as the coming out party it's possible right
2: i mean yeah there are some fundamental differences between adam and david fundamentally i think you know adam your it He's listed at 154 pounds and uh, 6'1", something like that. He's violent. Like he, he plays, he plays heavier than he, than he is. He, he bullies opponents on retrievals. He, he'll take every chance he gets to kind of throw his glove in an opponent's face on hits, that kind of thing. He's a bit like he plays borderline a bit physically as well, which is really fun. I just think, you know, the, the main thing that stood out and throughout everyone talking about Adam Yurchek who's seen them in, in our Dauber Prospects team, he's fairly clunky on his pivots he, he's a straight line he's a good straight line skater but he can't he can't pivot all that well and it's really harming his retrieval game it's really harming his ability to keep up with rushing opponents you know when defending transitions and that kind of stuff and on top of that his his confidence really shaky and it's preventing him from exploring certain areas of his game if, for example you see zane perek exploring you see even a guy like carter Yakerchuk exploring you know, Sam Dickinson, all these guys that we've talked about already are are all exploring these areas of their games in ways that Adam Yerchek is hesitant to do. And I don't know if that's coaching or otherwise, but there are already some fundamental physical limitations with Yerchek in terms of his skating ability, in terms of his ability to pivot off, off checks and that kind of stuff. But on top of that, there hasn't been really much offensively that's given us promise. And we had our meeting in the middle of the Five Nations tournament, and it was kind of lackluster there as well. Uh, he was outplayed by uh, Thomas Galvish, who's in the same draft here, also also with Czechia. I thought Thomas Galvish was a better better player overall in that tournament than than Iruchek was. And at some points they were sharing the same line, and Galvish was standing out, and Iruchek was just kind of kind of average. So that didn't really help as much in our ability to kind of project him, and that kind of harmed him a bit. But I think that the World Juniors will be a good benchmark, and that's why we have a, a scouts meeting after the World Juniors is to give. Prospects who haven't had the best regular seasons, an opportunity to, to show us what they can do against the best of their age group in, t- in terms of national tournaments. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for our January rankings and I'm excited for, to see what your does at the World Juniors, because I think that'll be a big benchmark in terms of, does he jump into our top 10 or does he slip into our, our, our bottom, bottom 10 uh, of, the, of the first round? Like that's a that's main concern here.
1: All right, next guy up on the docket to talk about my last guy is the player who I just saw last Friday live, which was fun. Yeah. So Luke Misa, you guys have him at 16th and the EP consensus ranking has him just outside the first round, mid 30ish. So, yeah, I saw him live and. I kind of agree with what I read on the article that you guys wrote about him and and the take on his game. He's a little undersized, but the way he played the game, I didn't really see that being a a big, a big red flag for me. And he's got time to grow, too, and, and get stronger. Yeah, really good skater. His stride looked very solid, very quick, good explosive first step, um, good edges, good balance. Very, very impressive with his skating abilities. I, I like that they deployed him obviously in you know offensive zone starts and power play, but he also was <clears throat> on the the shorthanded unit too, killing penalties and almost scored a shorthanded goal and almost caused another shorthanded breakaway opportunity for for mississauga as well so he's aggressive on the pk but not at a at the expense of liabilities or anything like that Mm -hmm. i liked his shot he scored a really nice goal where they're on the power play and they are working the cycle and it came from you know the corner behind the goal line to him at the half wall and he had a little bit of real estate so he just took a couple quick quick couple strides got himself on a good angle on the net and blew it past the goalie like yeah. that was a pro level shot that i saw that was and just goal scorers instincts just took what was given and <laughs> said thank you very much yeah. so i think he's got some really projectable nhl skills and some fantasy value is this a player that you think you'd hire your target higher in, in fantasy hockey than an actual nhl draft because he is undersized and he's more offensive than defensive I and mean, he's not a liability defensively but his yeah. bread and butter is generating points.
2: Yeah, it depends though. I, I don't I don't think you'll ever get kind of a point per game player out of Misa, no matter how well you develop him. There are some right. limitations to his game, but what's you know, we were talking earlier with Caden Lindstrom about a disconnect between your hands, your feet, and 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 your brain. Misa doesn't have that. His processing speed is the exact same as a skating speed. His handling speed is the same speed as a s as a skating and his and his processing. Like, everything's on the same page with him. That makes him really interesting. The shot is good. I don't really... That's the thing is that you mentioned the real estate. I think that's the main issue with Misa is he needs real estate. Even though he processes a game at a high level, he tends to take a couple touches before setting up the puck in his hip pocket to get the shot off. Uh, It takes him a bit of a while to get set up for a shot. So he's not the type of player who's necessarily going to be particularly strong on one-timers. He's not going to be the type of catch-and-release JT Miller type of power play scorer. He's really going to be the type of player who he's going to be your puck carrier on the power. play. He's going to give you some decent penalty killing shifts. And overall, at five on five, he's going to accelerate the pace of play and connect with your teammates. But, you know, we see that a lot in middle sixes. You know, that's the type of player that I'd I'd see become a middle six center who can do a bit of everything except kind of get involved physically. The type of player who will really constantly kind of speed up the game for you in, in moments where you need him to which is valuable i just do i think i'd have him higher than 16th in a fantasy draft i, I don't think so He just there, there's a there's a quality to his game that's really interesting but it's really it's a quality that serves you in the nhl rather than on the scoreboard and if you have a points only league he's probably gonna he's probably gonna give you 55 60 points you know maximum at the highest level that he can give you and if you're multi-cat then i mean Maybe block shots even then, you know, it's just I have trouble seeing him as a fantasy value top 15 player. But in terms of NHL value, in terms of what he brings to the game, to an NHL team, he might be able to push for a top 15 spot if he continues playing the way he has.
0: All right. Well, maybe we save the best for last. I don't know. We (laughs) we're going to talk about one of the Hudson's. And I know that you've been a super big fan of lane hudson and yeah. it seems like we're going to go through this whole process again with cole <laughs> because he is a dynamic undersized offensive defenseman he is not mm-hmm. as undersized as lane was at least at this very stage of their development he is yeah. currently 5'10, 159 i believe hudson cole i believe lane was sometimes listed at 5 8 or 5 9 so he was a little bit smaller yeah but at any rate you guys have him at 24 the consensus is 24 ep has him one spot earlier at 23 but he seems like a late first round which I can't remember exactly where lane was but I think he was kind of in that range and then obviously went much later than that so I fear like this probably going to be the similar situation where he's going to be value in fantasy drafts and you know I guess the question is is he going to really fall or are there other concerns you know like there were with lane and maybe just compare the two, like went at this phase what's the skating like we know the obviously he's smaller so probably going to have some concerns you know defensively competing yeah. and being physical and all those kinds of things so tell us a little bit about cole hudson
2: the thing is with cole hudson is you take all the tools that he had that lane hudson has and kind of jack him up a tiny bit and that's cole hudson he's a he's a better skater for sure in, in terms of forward skating backward skating is a major issue but it was the same with Lane Hudson to a certain extent. So I'd say this, they're similar in their deficiencies skating-wise. But i say Cole Hudson is a better forward skater. On top of that, he's got that same electrifying kind of lateral movement and deking ability, that ability to shift opponents and to, to kind of draw the attention to him and free up a teammate. He's got that dynamic ability. I'd say in terms of processing and understanding the game, I'd say he's the only one on that NTDP team even close to keeping up with James Haggins. And yeah, James Higgins is uh, probably going to be the first overall pick in 2025. So yeah, to have that that mental speed just to, to keep up with such a good player, I'd say Hudson's the only one on that NTB, NTDP squad. But on the flip side of that, the main issues that that make Hudson that made Hudson slip into the the late second round are the main are the same issues that Hudson have, but also exacerbated. Is you know, I'd say Hudson was a better processor of the defensive side of the game, even though his body couldn't keep up with it, even though he was struggling to keep up with those kind of fast forwards of fast big body forwards heading down his side of the ice on, and transitions he was still keeping up with the play mentally he wasn't out of the play he wasn't kind of lost on where he needs to be it's just his body couldn't get him there on time and hudson it's a bit of it's a bit of the contrary where hudson has the tools to get back he has the tools to get in the right spots but it's, his brain isn't there you know so so that's the main kind of the, the separation between the two is i'd say that Cole Hudson probably has the same similar ceiling to Lane in terms of offensive skills. And the skating helps him even more with that, which could kind of even push him slightly above Lane in terms of the, the upside. But the downside is is major. Like there's a solid chance that Cole Hudson doesn't make the NHL. And I think that chance is bigger than it was with Lane at the same at the same age. Because Lane at least is always in the play mentally, and Cole isn't. So that that's the main separating factor. And that's what kept him outside of our kind of top 20 range, because you know, Lane Hudson, especially with hindsight, like draft year at Lane Hudson in this draft would be a top 10, top 15 pick. Um, but the issue is right now with Cole, there are some issues that weren't there with Lane in this draft year that keep him even further from that conversation. So yeah, that, that those are my concerns with Cole Hudson in a nutshell. And we, we summarized them pretty well as a team on on in the rankings. But yeah, there there, there are definitely more concerns with Cole Hudson's game than there were with Lane's in this draft year, that I can say.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. That's great specific breakdown what do you think the chances are right now does he go earlier or later than his brother his brother for everyone who doesn't remember went 62nd overall to the habs
2: what do you think Do you think he goes earlier than that earlier for sure uh first of all i think he's already a bit taller i think cole 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 hudson's 5'10 and lane hudson was 5'8 5'7 and a half in his draft year and both of them are are late bloomers like i don't know if you remember but lane hudson brought an endocrinologist test to the combine Mm -hmm. to show teams like hey i still have like three inches of bone growth left i think it'll be the same with cole hudson so i think that'll turn a couple teams a couple fewer teams off and on top of that i think that teams with hindsight are able to say like hey this is a player that's fairly similar to lane hudson and lane hudson has proved everyone wrong since being drafted 62nd overall in the 2022 draft so maybe we should take a shot on him i think that that's a conversation that could happen but i wouldn't put it past nhl scouting teams to not learn from their mistakes i mean you know it, it, we we've seen, we have we have a lot of examples of him not doing that, so <laughs> exactly.
0: Years of data to support yeah. that assertion. <laughs> For sure. That's funny.
1: All I heard out of that was he's got the same upside as as Lane and I missed out on Lane in all my dynasty fantasy drafts because I was hoping that he would he would slip past like you know late into the second round in my and he didn't. He was like yep. late first, early second round in all my fantasy leagues. And I was like, what? He went 60th in the NHL draft
2: and he's, you know, he's five foot nine, right?
1: Yeah.
2: He's five ten now. now, So credit to him. He grew a couple inches.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I won't make the same mistake with Cole. I'll I'll be gunning for him. For sure. All right, I'm I'm out of questions. We're running out of time. This has been totally awesome, Matty. Thanks for coming on the show again. And do me a favor, tell everyone where they can. You got other podcasts that you're that you're on, and and you write for Dauber Prospects, all the things you do. Where can people gobble up all your work?
2: Absolutely. So I've I've got the Locked On NHL Prospects podcast for the Locked On Podcast Network. That's with Sebastian High, who's the head scout of the Dauber Prospect Scouting Team. So we both host a podcast. It's on five days a week. Uh, you can check it out on YouTube. Locked On, and yeah, five days a week. Locked on NHL prospects or on Twitter at LO underscore NHL prospects. It's a bunch of fun. We talk about a bunch of stuff, prospects around the NHL, draft, all that. Also, write for Habs Eyes on the Prize. That's going to be picking up soon. I've taken kind of a hiatus from that just to kind of focus on setting up the draft here with Dauber prospects. But now that the main kind of crux of work is done, I'll get back to kind of writing articles once a week. So you'll be able to see that. Regardless, everything I do is posted on Twitter. So you can just follow me on Twitter at Hattie K underscore Scouting. That's H A D I a underscore scouting really easy to find really friendly shoot me a message if you have something to say and yeah
1: you do great stuff i love your tweets you have have great thoughts and opinions on prospects and and you you you. keep twitter a happy place a safe place you (laughs) keep people accountable for being decent people so thanks for that man i've got all the time in the world for you pal
2: of course thanks so much thanks for having me our pleasure man. thanks
0: for listening to dauber prospects report Number Or for feedback on our show or to chat with us, follow us on Twitter at DPR show at P Harling at Victor Nuno 12 or at Sabrin 91. And guess what, guys? Don't forget to follow Hockey Podnet and all the great podcasts on their network. You love hockey. You love Hockey Podnet. And that's where you're going to find all your good hockey stuff. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or
1: the podcast aggregator of your choice and leave us a five star review. It really helps the show. Thanks, and see you next week.
0: Let's do that hockey.